Really glad to be together again tonight with you. Those of you who join in on this uh, Bible study, this midweek Wednesday Bible study. And uh, we have over these past weeks been examining the book of James and uh, have got through quite a few verses in chapter one, uh, taking it slowly, but moving on again uh, this evening. I'm going to be looking at the last two verses of, of James uh, chapter one. So welcome and thank you for joining me and do trust and pray that this uh, time together will be of some meaning and, and fruitfulness in your life and, and also in my life as we examine uh, the scriptures together. So let me pray and, and then I'm going to make some introductory comments and then we'll read the passage um, after that. Lord, thank you that we can share together like this the opportunity we have using technology and Lord being able to connect with one another uh, with the word in our hands and Lord with your spirit at work. And we do pray that even in the teaching of your word tonight there would be some uh, benefit and Lord, the continued growth in our lives as Christians growing and Lord, those well-known phrase in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just thank you for each person. We do want to pray for one another. Lord, you know our deepest needs, our deepest hurts and, and even the greatest delights of our heart. And all of this we bring to you with much thanksgiving and also intercession before you. Uh, this evening. And so do be gracious to us, meet with us, and I do pray that this evening would be without any kind of difficulty technically, and uh, that the study be helpful to each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are changing gears a little tonight in the book of James. We've been looking for some weeks now at uh, not only the introduction, which brought us into a section on, on the challenges of having different difficulties and trials. And we spent some weeks looking um, at that and uh, moving on this evening and uh, looking at, at something that's going to uh, challenge us and certainly get us to think about the context of professing Christianity. That's where I want to begin in these introductory uh, comments. As you think about Christianity in its broadest sense, you will find and you will, of course, know this, that there are many different opinions of what we ought to believe, and that's not what I'm going to focus on tonight, but also different opinions on how to live out the Christian life. Well, the dilemma deepens when we bring that circle a little bit closer, a little bit smaller, and we look at a particular denomination, looking at ourselves as uh, the Union of Baptist Churches. There will again be those who have different opinions in terms of what they believe, and then there are those uh, also who have different opinions on how that belief system, how their faith is expressed in, in one way uh, or another. Well, that does leave us with a nagging question. Because if there's so much diversity, if there's so much opinion as to how one lives out the Christian life, there is a nagging question. And the nagging question I want to present to us tonight, and certainly want to look at it uh, as James would answer this question, is can there be some kind of clarity? Can there be some clarity for us on which expression of faith, and particularly as we're looking at this book of James, which practice or what kind of practice is true or what kind of practice is false indicating the 
belief system is right or wrong. In other words, we are looking at the issue of genuine faith on the one hand, or that which is counterfeit faith on the other hand. Is there any way, and this is where we're going to go with James, is there any way that one can get some idea as to which practices, that which you express in your daily life as a professing believer, that indicate that the faith that you claim is real or not? And, of course, there is always a personal implication. We don't only want to be looking, as it were, further afield at others. We want to be examining our own hearts, looking, what is it about my faith that authenticates the faith that I claim I have, or does it not authenticate? Does your or my version fall into the category of what James calls, James calls true religion, or false religion. And so with that said, I want to read uh, just from James chapter 1, and uh, look with me then at verse 26 and verse 27. If anyone thinks he is religious, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Carries on, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in the affliction and to keep one unstained from the world. Now, there are only two verses, but there is so much for us to examine, so much for us to see, and really so much that ought to be quite penetrating and challenging in our own uh, walk with God. So, uh, deception. Just to think a little bit more as we move into the study, and perhaps I could even add to that the ugly nature of deception, the consequences of deception, is something that we see in the Bible again and again, Old Testament and New Testament. But I thought I would share a, a, one example from uh, a message that God conveys uh, through His prophet, the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Now listen to these words, Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, that particular prophecy is a living parable. It was certainly in those days a live parable parable where God was demonstrating to the people through Hosea, specifically and primarily to Hosea in the first instance, the scary truth that there were some Jews, some, in fact, we could even say many individual Jews at that point in time in national Israel who were not part of spiritual Israel. They called themselves Jews but they had prostituted themselves to idols and foreign religions and were therefore deceived into thinking they were Jews, but they were not Jews because they were part of national Israel, but were certainly not part of the spiritual uh, group of people, spiritual body of Israel at that time. And so Jewish men and women 
by birth, that was how they were born, born into a Jewish family, did not automatically make them in a right standing with God and right with God. But they, they were deceived into thinking that their particular version, their particular expression of Jewish religion was authentic, that it was the real thing. And so it is possible, we need to see from that, it is possible for men and women to believe and to think that they are part of God's family and yet not be part of God's family. So that, that's kind of where we're beginning in this study tonight. Uh, J- James, James is going there and, and he really wants us to examine the Spirit of God using the words of James, uh, directing, of course, the words of James, wants us to examine, wants us to see, are you indeed part of the family of God Or are you deceived into thinking you're part of the family of God and you're not part of the family of God? Now, it's not just James that in the New Testament we find that addresses this particular concern and this particular issue. Jesus also introduces and in in fact speaks repeatedly regarding this frightening possibility of deception. And we will look at an instance, an instance that I've referred to often in the context of Central Baptist Church, warning, warning his hearers, warning us as we hear the word of God. Could this be true of me? And this is what uh, Matthew writes in chapter 7 and verse 21. Uh, This is quoting the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus goes on and he gets him thinking about the day of judgment. When everything will be exposed. Where uh, everybody will be held accountable before God. And he says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty and mighty works in your name? And then there comes the For me, one of the most frightening statements in the New Testament, uh, verse 23, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In a similar way, James, here at the end of chapter 1, discriminates between true and false religion. Verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious, and then he goes on, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. In other words, James is saying that there is a person, there is the possibility of a person who places himself in a religious sector of society. He identifies himself as being religious. In our context, we could say, yes, here is a person who moves in, in, in Christian circles, he even attends the, the right kind of church, the, the one that is uh, meant to be orthodox and, and serious about sound doctrine. He even reads the right kind of books and he has the right kind of label. But it is possible, says James, that the fact of the matter is that he can deceive himself. He can be, he can be deceived. So the outward identity of religion is there. The name is in place, perhaps even the reputation amongst friends is in place, 
but there's an absence of convincing evidence that such faith really exists. And so the first consideration that James uh, tackles in this uh, instance, and of course the topic tonight is, I identified this study as a reliable test of faith. And, and, and let me say at this point, it's not the only test of faith. There are other passages in the Bible that uh, also can lead us and give us clarity on this particular issue. So I'm not giving you a comprehensive picture of everything that the Bible says tonight about examining your heart and life and determining whether you are a person who adheres to true religion or false religion. I'm simply going to be speaking to the issues that James unfolds. But, but, but there are issues that ought to apply to any one of us who profess uh, faith. And so to, be, to begin with, the very first point is confirming the possibility of spiritual deceptions. I want to flog that horse a little bit more because it is such a crucial issue, because the consequences are so dire. We need to be aware of the possibility of deception in any one of our lives. And again, verse 26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet in this instance does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, there are two very important words over there. Deception again, the word is raised. And then the added description of his religion that it's worthless. It's, it's useless. It's not going to do anything for him. It's not uh, in any way fruitful or productive or bringing about the intended purpose that had been in mind. And so one of the clearest ways in which people reveal the authenticity or the falsity, if there is such a word, of their particular faith is by the words they speak. What you say and what comes out of my mouth is a test. It's one of the ways we can assess our particular type of religion, our particular type. Of confession. And so you see, we can try do different things. We can make every attempt to uh, believe that we're in the right place and that we have a right standing with God. But what, what James is saying over here is that eventually that person, that man or that woman, will betray themselves just with the words they speak that which comes out of their mouths. And if you remember the words of Jesus, that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, out of the outflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Great analogy. We can't see what is inside the heart of an individual in terms of authentic faith. We can't see what's inside of the heart of a person in case there is some kind of false faith. But what we can see is that which the heart produces, which comes out of the mouth, out of the outflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the truth that he's, he's making known to us over here is that the tongue, the tongue will inevitably reveal the inner spiritual state of a person. What you say is going to reveal ultimately that which is inside of your heart. 
You see, the activity of our mouth, and I'm going to try and uh, elaborate with a few examples in a few minutes, but the activity of our mouths, or perhaps I should say the activity of our tongue, reveals whether there's a heart of stone or a heart of flesh, a heart that is tender toward God or a heart that is rebellious and instead preoccupied with self and one's own sinful nature. And so he says here, not, not keeping a tight rein on his tongue. So what, what James is saying over here is he does not see the Christian as having a silenced tongue. So it's not about just being quiet. But he is speaking about a bridled tongue, a tongue that is under control. Let me quote author Alec Motya. He says, our tongues possess in themselves all the untamed vigor of a wild beast. And left to themselves, all their savage instincts will be given full play. They need, like wild horses, to be broken and harnessed. And that's what happens when an individual comes to faith in Christ. That's what happens when when a person becomes a new creature in Christ. When one becomes born again. And so if we jump ahead to James chapter 3 and verse 7 where he picks up on this topic again. He says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But salvation is of the Lord. God can do what no man is able to do. God can bring about those who are dead in their sins and make them alive in Christ. And so God can bring about that which was impossible in fruit that was being produced or not being produced to being produced. So every kind of evil can flow from the tongue where there is no intervention of grace, where there's no intervention of the saving act of God in a person's life. There will be an outflow of something that will betray a pretense of religion. And let me give you some examples. And I actually only came back to this today and thought about it. Heresy. I have wondered again and again and again why it is that, that, that someone who claims to be of the faith, in the faith, will, will, will dig their heels in, in, in not wanting to defend, to defend the truth of the faith, wanting to be on the side of error and heresy. And, and, and what James is telling us, well, this betrays what is actually inside of your heart. Why are you not tender toward the things of God? The obvious example is blasphemy. I remember way back, way back when I was still working in secular business, one of my colleagues uh, claimed to be a Christian and in fact was an appointed deacon in his particular local church. But I cringed, I cringed in his company using the Lord's name in vain using the name of Jesus as a swear word, as a curse word. I was not there to judge him. He judged himself. Because out of the heart, out of the heart comes that which is inside in an 
in an external expression. And so we can see if, if this is the pattern of what comes from your mouth or from my mouth, whether it be blasphemy or malice or filth or lying. Perpetual lying is an indication of darkness, of the sinful nature, misrepresenting others, slandering others, gossiping about others, bitterness that, that, that eats away at the individual's life and, and an expression of that bitterness and hatred toward others. You get the picture. Anyone's tongue that is unbridled, habitually unbridled, habitually unrestrained and reckless, even though he or she may call herself a believer, a Christian, even though he or she may be a member of a particular church and sit in a particular pew on a Sunday morning listening to fine preaching or sound doctrine, considers himself religious. That is the case. He deceives himself and his religious, his religion is worthless. So I want to go on now and we're going to look now at tabling some evidence, tabling some evidence of authentic religion. So uh, James goes on, he says in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. He's going to come up with a catalog. It's not a long catalog. Uh, really two things we're going to be looking at. But these are definitely areas that you are able to look at and see, is this true of me? Is this true of you? And the point that I could make in principle at this point of the study is that true religion can be identified. There are types of outward service, there are types of outward expression that are an indication of pure religion. That the heart, in fact, is no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. These marks and indicators, these bits of evidence, just so that I can not be misunderstood, that there's clarity for any of us to understand, these are not good works in the sense that they earn credit with God and therefore earn salvation. No, I'm not sending anyone out with a message to not say, do this, do that, uh, do the other thing, and all will be well. No, no, no. What I am saying and what I understand James to be saying is look for this kind of evidence as an outflow of your profession of faith. That instead, as uh, I put it in another way, is some of the recognizable fruit of the new person in Christ. This ought to be something of the life, an indication of the life that a believer has been made alive in Christ. Well, let's go on to the first one. Authentic religion shows itself in a professing Christian's life and shows that it's active when that person is willing to step up to the plate to bring relief to the helpless. We have a category over here. Notice what James identifies. He says to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Must be some kind of compassion for the vulnerable. Alec Mottier again, if I could quote him, he says, caring, caring love for the helpless is not an accidental or optional manifestation of the new nature. It's part of its essence. A heart for the helpless provides evidence, some kind of evidence, of authentic religion. And so by identifying these two categories of people, the widows and the orphan, the people in distress, 
What is James doing? James bids us to look upward and see if we belong to the Father. And in particular to see if his life, the Father's life, is at work in us. And if so, we can see whether we belong to him. Now, why am I saying that? Why, why am I saying that? Why, why is this issue of a concern and compassion for the widow and the orphan an indication of authentic faith? Or maybe to put that differently, an indication that the life of the father is in fact at work in the life of the believer. Well, I want us to think about the fatherhood of God. In these verses, James identifies, you notice, God as Father. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. He's doing that very intentionally. Every word is a particular reason and purpose. He's pointing us to see what the Bible teaches regarding the compassionate activity of our Father in heaven. I'm going to look at Psalm 78. You can turn to Psalm 78 and let's have a look and see uh, the psalmist over there, what he has to say as he calls out to fellow worshippers. I'll read from verse 4, Psalm 68, verse 4. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him, to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Then he goes on and he identifies something of the nature of God. The nature of God is one who, so verse 5, is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. Is God in his holy habitation. Now there's something said about God there. Do do, do, do you see what I'm getting at? That, That ought to reflect in the life of the believer. It makes sense therefore to see why James just doesn't just speak in general terms of bringing uh, relief to people uh, generally. He's, he's making a point. He's, he's zeroing in on something that is identifiable in, in God our Father that ought therefore to be identifiable in us as the children of the Father. Widows and orphans have a special place in the heart of Father God. And so therefore, we who claim to be authentic believers, those who call on this Father God, we ought to have concerns that match the concerns of our Father in heaven. We could put that a little bit differently. There ought to be family likeness with regard to having an active concern which moves us to reach out to the need of others. Just like our Father. Just like our Father. Men and women reaching out in compassion like their Father toward the helpless. Not expecting anything in return. Simply doing it as an expression of compassion and love. And so as you consider the likeness of your Father, are you able to save yourself? Like Father, like Son. But I want to take that principle just a little bit further in, in thinking again, why, why identify the destitute? Why, why, why this category that, uh, that uh, brings about in the life of a believer uh, proof or evidence of true faith. And I want us to think or consider the redeeming love of God. 
we go back to the book of Deuteronomy, and we'll find that there is a, co- a connection between the concern for widows and orphans with the concern that God has to rescue his people from slavery. Let me give you one example from Deuteronomy 24 verse 17. He says, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, there it is, or to take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, that the Lord your God rescued you from there, therefore I command you to do this. In other words, you see what he's saying? I did this in rescuing you as a slave from Egypt, therefore you ought to be doing that a concern for the fatherless, a concern for the sojourner, a concern for the vulnerable, like father, like son. And, but there the connection now is redeeming work. So this redeeming work of God of Israel from Egypt, Egypt also calls to mind the redeeming work of God through Jesus as the model for caring Christians. Now I'll jump to Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that well-known verse. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do, 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 you, see, do you see the parallel? Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We were vulnerable. We were destitute. We were helpless. We were hopeless. And so therefore, that's what he does. That's the heart of God. That's the love of God. That's the compassion of God. So therefore, in the genuine believer, there ought also to be that kind of compassion, that kind of love, not to those who can give something in return, but even being willing to give to those who can give nothing in return. We were dead in sin, but God made you alive. By grace, you've been saved. Did you get the picture of salvation? This is not your work. This is not the will of man. This is the will of God. This is the grace of God. This is the goodness of God, the compassion of God. And so therefore, as a recipient of that, I too, like my father, want to reach out to those who also are helpless and hopeless and vulnerable. And so just by the way, if I could chase a bit of a rabbit trail over here, can you understand why it's so important to have an accurate understanding of soteriology, if I may use a big word? Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not of man. We are saved by grace through faith. A gift from God so that no man can boast so when God gives us what we don't deserve, we didn't even ask for it. We too give to others in need. Those in helpless distress. And so folk, you and I need not be deceived about the true and false types of religion. We just need to take a moment in honest reflection. Look for the evidence. Are you a person at least willing to step out and to a little plate in some way to help the helpless? Or are you a person just consumed with your own well-being? Are you only preoccupied with yourself? Well, in our church or in a church where our intention is to care for each other, there are helpless widows in distress, and that should move you, it should move me into caring action. We should not neglect those who are vulnerable. 
and even further afield, if we think about the state of the nation and the country we're living in, there are many who are orphans, there are many who are abandoned children. Is there any place in your heart for those who are, in fact, destitute? Is there place in your time or in your family, in your prayers, in your wallet, to in any way help support or provide safety or foster or adopt or do something? In fact, in our context, in our church, you can participate in Bethesda. You can support at any level, donate towards that work which is being done amongst vulnerable orphans. But there's another test. True religion is also evident in the life when you are, or are not only stepping up to the plate, but when we are changing to be more and more like Jesus. This ought to be obvious, but often it isn't. But James puts it like this, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Being con- keep yourself from being contaminated by the world. Keep yourself from being influenced by the world. True, true religion shows the fruit of a life that is being transformed into the moral likeness of Jesus. A life that is set apart for God, not characterized by worldliness and not characterized by political correctness. What was Jesus like? Just those few years on earth. We can read about much of his life, or at least some of his life in those gospel letters. He was humble and proud, wasn't arrogant, didn't think more highly of himself than he ought. He was obedient to his father. Even, remember that time? Take this cup from me, but your will be done. Resolute in his commitment to truth. Say to people out there who compromise on truth, don't you want to be like Jesus? Don't you want to defend the truth? Don't you want to uphold the light in a world of darkness? He learned obedience through suffering. Jesus was compassionate. A second person of the Trinity. I find it very interesting that Jesus expressed his dependence on his Father. He was righteous, loved sinners, always sought to please the Father. He did not allow himself to follow the agenda of the world. He did not allow himself to be polluted by the agenda of politicians and that which is politically correct. And I challenge you folk, it's so easy to go with the flow. And surely if you have a new heart, you ought to be coming more and more like Jesus and need to be thinking about what it is that you ought to be changing, that, that, that your sanctification ought to be uh, producing in your life, becoming more and more like him. And I, I jotted down some questions. What did Jesus do when he was treated unjustly? What did Jesus do when he was insulted and ridiculed? What did Jesus do when Judas betrayed him? What did Jesus do when Peter denied him? What did Jesus do when people urged him to lead a revolution? But we need to learn. We need to grow. We need to be transformed more and more 
into the likeness of Jesus. We need those of us in ministry, those of us who teach others, we need to take a page out of the Apostle Paul's life and, and, and writing, lest we lead people into deception. Isn't that a terrible thing to stand before God and, and, and be held accountable for teaching people uh, uh, that which led them down pathways of destruction and deception? We need to be like Paul. Colossians 1.28 this, this ought to be at the center and the focus of our message. Him we proclaim, that is Jesus, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Are you keeping yourself from being contaminated or polluted by the world? The pressure is on. And I'm no prophet, but I think the pressure is going to get even greater and stronger. The world says marriage is to be redefined. Are you going to accept it when somebody in your family says they're going to marry a same-sex partner? Will you celebrate with them? What are you going to do about the pressure that is upon us to obliterate biological gender? What are you going to do? What are we going to do in a church about the sins of homosexuality and the practice of homosexuality? What are we doing and what are we saying about the fact that unborn babies are being killed left, right and center? What do we do? Are you willing to stand up? It might be a test of your faith. If you're not willing to stand up, you may need to ask, are you a true believer? Have you actually been made alive in Christ? Are you willing to stand up against the garbage that the world is throwing at you? Your answer may be an indication of the genuineness of your faith. And so, folk, I conclude this evening. God calls men and women and children to himself. And doing so, he not only saves us from our sin in declaring us to be righteous. In other words, he doesn't only justify us. He also sanctifies us. A true disciple of Christ does not have empty or fruitless or worthless religion. Faith in Jesus Christ is not removed from everyday life. It's relevantly woven into every aspect of life and shown by recognizable root. Listen again to the passage before I share the questions for discussion tonight. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep, one uns keep oneself unstained from the world. And so I'll leave that with you. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to share the questions uh, with you. Dear Lord, help us search our hearts. I confess, Lord, before you my own need to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And I do pray, Lord, that each of us studies like this will really challenge us in terms of the fruit being produced in our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that salvation indeed is of the Lord. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh Lord, we bless you. We honor you. 
Thank you that you are the Lord God Almighty, worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be exalted, worthy to be held on high. And so I do commend uh, fellow brothers and sisters to you. Continue, Lord, to hold us in your hand as you mold us and form us. In Jesus' name, amen. So one final slide it is the questions. You can have a look at these questions. And uh, only a couple there tonight. Have some discussion. Perhaps you can even add to these uh, if that would be of, of any help um, as well. And then just to say God bless you. And looking forward to us meeting again on Sunday and the Lord's Day as we worship uh, together.